well. Great to uh, have this opportunity to share with you. And uh, we're starting a, a new uh, series. We have a rhythm in the church and we're doing our Christian basic series and we're doing the one and others. And some of you might remember last year we shared on some of the one and others. There's a hundred one and others in the New Testament. So a hundred times the writers of the New Testament said, do this to one another. And so uh, last year we shared on... Um, being kind to one another, love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another. And so I'm going to share honour one another and we're going to have that for a few weeks and then it's going to repeat again later in the year. But there are six times in the New Testament when the one another's are not coming from a positive aspect but they're actually coming from a do not, from a negative aspect. And uh, if we could put those six up there... Um, you know, I think they're, they're probably pretty valid ones, you know. Don't lie to one another. I think that's pretty good. I think that's probably right. Don't pass judgment on one another. Don't become conceited or provoking and envying one another. Do you hear that word provoking, husband? Can I just remind you, don't provoke. <laughs> Husbands, don't provoke your wives. I think it's a male thing you do, you just to provoke. Don't slander one another. Don't grumble. Oops, oops. Don't grumble. Hmm, was I just grumbling? And don't bite and devour one another. And, you know, when I was presented with my options of what one another would I like to do, for some reason that last one, don't bite and devour one another, just grab me. And Steve just shook his head and go, why would you want to do that? I go, oh, I don't know. I just, just stood out to me. So we're going to talk about not biting and devouring one another. Are you excited? <laughs> Um, Lorna was sharing um, on Friday night that she saw in her Facebook feed uh, a friend of hers, a mother who has four children, uh, two of them have a disability and three of them have a lactose intolerance. And so this mum, because of the, the way her children are, she goes shopping um, less often. You know, we all, those of us that have had children know what it's like to take children shopping at the best of times. And I can imagine, you know, for this mum it would be difficult. So when she goes shopping, she goes less often and she buys in bulk. And that's been fine until coronavirus. Anyway, so this mum, and no, it's not toilet paper. Trust me, it wasn't over toilet paper. She um, buys lactose-free milk for her three children who are lactose intolerant. And whilst in the shopping centre, a woman came up and attacked her and berated her verbally for what she had in her trolley. Now, I'm sure we've seen the stuff going around about the toilet paper and there was some sort of uh, bun fight at Woolies over rolls of toilet paper, which we're all just going, really? Really? May I say seriously, if you are in need of toilet paper, we do have some available. Come see me afterwards, okay? <laughs> I'd hate to think anybody's desperate in this time. It's just ridiculous. So what is it that causes people just to suddenly, you know, start attacking another person for something that... They, isn't, does not affect them at all. This woman had lactose-free milk in her trolley. Why would someone just come up and attack her? What was that about? Um, on social media, there's a thing called trolling. Has anyone heard of trolling? And this is where people... I like this cute little, little thing. They, they deliberately do things to aggravate and attack and make inflammatory comments. They want an argument. They want... You know, people going at each other, that, that just drives them. That's what they like to do. Why? Why do people want to do that? Over the 28 years that Steve and I have uh, led, led churches, been involved in um, pastoral ministry, we've had the privilege 
of being able to help people through conflict. We've had the opportunity to sit down and do marriage counselling with couples. We've helped parents who are struggling with their children. We've helped children that are struggling with their parents. We've helped people who are in conflict in the workplace, who've, um, you know, they're being bullied in the workplace or, or whatever. We've had people who are, you know, at odds with friends where there's, there's dramas. We've had this opportunity to sit and to listen and to give wisdom. But it sometimes amazes us that people that would come and sit in our lounge room, who would attend our church, who would lift their hands in worship and say that they love Jesus, that they know Jesus in their heart, that they could sit there and devour and attack and berate and shred and be rude and horrible about another human being. It has never left us that shock when we sit and we listen to that, particularly when it's a married couple and they're both in the room and they're both doing it to one another. But why does that happen? How do we get to that place in our lives where we do that? I believe that this behaviour is part of the human condition, that every single one of us is capable of it. And if you don't think you are, come chat to me and I'll make you see that you are capable of it. <laughs> Do you know, you just got to have the right person to push the right button. We're all capable of it. And we all need to listen to the words of Paul about not biting and devouring one another. So let's read scripture where this comes from in the book of Galatians. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all that we do. For love completes the law of God. All of the law can be summarised in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbour, even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticise and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Just go on to the next one. There's another, uh, that's from the Passion Translation. I, I really enjoy um, the way it describes it. But in the NIV, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So this, this passage is in the book of Galatians. We did the series on Galatians last year, and um, they're available on the podcast if you want to know more about the book of Galatians. But this is a church where Paul had established a church built on grace and of love and of freedom, and then some Judaizers had come in and said, oh, no, 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 not that way. It's, it's Jesus plus keeping the Mosaic law. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus. And then dissension is taking place in their midst. There was legalism. Unless you do it this way, it's not the right way, started coming in. And so Paul is writing in response to that. Paul knows 
Because he says, if you continue, in other words, he knows it's already happening. He knows that in their midst, they're biting and devouring one another. That they've set up, you know, along party lines. There's division taking place and he knows there's, uh, there's problems there. And he's saying, hey, if you continue to do this, you're going to destroy one another. The metaphor Paul uses is that of, of, an, of animals, you know, animals devouring one another. And it's quite a graphic picture. You know, you kind of think, oh, you know, is it really that? Yes, it is really that. It is that picture of animals devouring one another. So the word bite means to bite with the teeth. Funny that, isn't it? Hmm. To sting. The word devour means to ruin by inflicting injuries, to consume or destroy. And metaphorically, I just, this like, I read these words and I go, oh my goodness me, this is just horrible. To wound the soul, to cut, to lacerate, shred with accusations and criticisms. I don't know about you, but that just grieves my heart to read those words that Paul is saying this was taking place within a church community. Who would have thought? Who's been in a church where they've experienced that? Mm. It's really sad. But why, why is this happening? Why do we get to this place? What is, what is the drivers that cause these things to ha- take place? And I'm glad you asked that question because I have a, what I think is the answer. <laughs> so the first thing that I think causes this is pride. You know, within the animal kingdom, there is the pack leader, the top dog syndrome. You know, where this is a, a picture of two lions in the wild fighting for who's going to lead the pack. That, that, you know, in a pack, there's got, to be, there's got to be a top dog, someone who's leading. We have a dog, her name is Beatrice, and she's a little beagle, and she was a, under one. We introduced an older boxer called Lucy into the family. We inherited Lucy, and she came in, and guess what? The little beagle versus the big boxer, they had to have it out, didn't they? Because they had to figure out who was top dog. Poor Lucy came away with a hole in her ear because Beatrice, you know, being the little one, latched onto that which was sort of within her, you know, her range. I'm really not sure who won the fight though, you know, because I think they both continued to think they were top dog after that, but they had to have it out. You know, humans think that what they think, what they believe, what they do, how they act is the right way. We all do it. We all think because that's what we're used to, that's what we're comfortable with, that's what we know that that therefore is right. The reality is pride feeds control. People want to be in control. They want their way. They want it done their way because they believe they know the right way. And pride is fed by both inferiority and superiority. In both cases, pride is still about me. It's about I. If I am feeling inferior, I will pull others down. I'll bring them down so that I feel better. In superiority, I stand on top of others to make everybody know how great I am. Either way, it's all about I. It's about I having my way because I think I know best. I know the right way. Your way's not the right way. I've got the right theology. I've got the right understanding. I've got the right knowledge. And I want to do it my way. 
And often in community groups and churches, the biggest cause of conflict and division is the wrestle over control. It's a quote from D.L. Moody. He said, God sends no one away except those who are full of themselves. I'm going to have some quotes today. I love quotes. I think there's great. Just think about that. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves because there's no room for God in there. Another quote. Pride is a spiritual cancer that devours families, destroys marriages, divides churches and corrupts governments. Pride asks, who's right? Humility asks, what's right? Pride asks, who's right? Who's right? If you ever had marriage counselling, been in a situation, there's always the question, they want you to say, who's right? I'm right. No, I'm right. You know, we've all, you had two little kids, children in the family battling. Who's right? No, no, humility says, what is the right thing? What is right? How do we respond if we recognise that we have been attacking people out of pride and a need for control? That verse in Galatians that we read has the answer. Paul gave the answer to the church. He said, rather serve one another humbly in love. You know, the answer is humility. The answer is, see, humility says I actually don't know it all. Humility says, I don't understand it all. Humility says, I think I might have the answer, but then again, maybe other people might have the answer as well. In Matthew 18, verse 4, Jesus, um, in, in that chapter 18, it starts off with the disciples asking Jesus, who is the greatest amongst us? Hello, who's the greatest, Jesus? And Jesus uh, calls over a little child and he says this. So anyone who becomes as humble as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I've meditated on that verse. Um, It came up in my reading a couple of weeks ago and I meditated on it. And I realised that when we're children, we recognise that we're not yet fully grown. We recognise that we can't open that, that jar that's really hard. We can't swing a hammer the same way that our dad can swing a hammer. We recognise we can't lift things the same as our parents could lift. We have an innate knowing, don't we, as children that we're not actually fully formed yet and that because we, we've tried and we recognise that we couldn't do some of the things that adults can do. And we go to school and we recognise that we're actually learning and that we don't understand everything. Now, this is probably before we get to teenage years. Um, we actually realise we don't know everything. Remember, it says child, not teenager. And, um, you know, that we've still... We still haven't quite figured out how to do the division and the subtraction and the multiplication or the, you know, the adverbs and the adjectives. We still haven't got it all figured out. And Jesus says, you know what? You've got to be humble like a child. You've actually got to remember you still don't know it all. You still don't actually have it all worked out. There are still things that you have to grow in. And if we want to take away this whole problem of pride and control, we've actually got to work on a humility in our lives. We've got to have a heart of humility. 
You know, and as I was preparing, one realised that, oh, one of the work situations I'm in, I keep getting really irritated and annoyed, and I come home and I dump on Steve all my frustrations. I realised, hmm, oh, there's a little bit of a control thing happening within me, a little bit of, I know the right way to do it in this place, you're new here, and I've been here all this time, and I know the right way to do it. And I went, ouch. It's so easy to slip into this. We actually have to learn to be humble. The greatest leader is the servant leader who understands they don't know it all, they have not yet fully grasped all understanding and they still have much learning and growing to go through. The second reason I believe that people bite and devour one another is because they are in pain. This quote that I'm sure you've all heard before, hurt people, hurt people. An animal that is in distress, that is trapped or injured, and I'm sure you might have seen this on, on you know, various news things that happen, they will, they will lash out. They will attack someone who's trying to rescue them or help them. Why? Because they are vulnerable. When you are injured, you are vulnerable. You have not got the full capacity to defend yourself. And also, you are in pain. And if anyone's ever had a chronic pain, you know that your threshold of tolerance is very low. So, you know, in the, in the animal kingdom, if something's injured and someone comes and touches on that point of pain, they're going to lash out, they're going to attack, they're going to bite, they're going to snarl and snap because they're trying to defend their injury. And humans are no different to animals. We all do it. When we are in pain, you know, we snap and snarl if someone touches on that point of pain. I used to work in operating theatres in my first, first life. I was a, a theatre nurse and uh, I, um, we used to have uh, big glass bottles, they're our sucker bottles, and um, I was trying to disconnect a tube and I smashed the bottle and I cut my, my hand. Now, thank, I was in a, 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 a gynaecologist's uh, theatre at the time. Um, thankfully, there was a plastic surgeon around because I would have hated to see what the gynae would have done with my hand. And so the, um, the plastic surgeon, he, he recognised I'd cut a tendon, you know, he stitched it all up and, you know, so that was great. Now, that's been, you know, I don't know, 35, 36 years ago. But I tell you what, if I still hit that area... It is still something I get, oh, my goodness me, it's a 10 on the pain scale. I don't know what it is. There's, you know, there's something there. There's a knot or whatever. But I guard that hand. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm very conscious of that hand and what I do with it because I know if I whack the top of that, I'm going to know about it. You know, and we all... Does anyone know that feeling when there's that sort of... You guard, you protect, you don't want to use things in this, in fully because you know it's going to cause pain. You know, I don't think people deliberately in pain set out to snap and snarl. They don't consciously think, oh, you know, I'm in pain, I'm going to attack you. I don't think they do that. I think it's very subconscious. But, you know, when you um, take a Panadol, if you've got pain, you take a Panadol, the pain is not healed. Do you know what I mean? The cause of the pain is not healed. What happens is we are chemically convinced in our brain that the pain's not there. That's the way Panadol works. It blocks pain receptors. And I wonder 
Sometimes when people who are in pain are snapping and snarling and attacking, it's their way of taking the focus off themselves and deflecting it because then they're kind of thinking, I'm not in pain. You don't know my pain. You can't see my pain because I'm focusing it elsewhere and I'm projecting it out onto other people. If you never heal from what hurt you, you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. Very good, isn't it? You know, if you are biting and snarling and devouring others, it might be time to stop and look and see whether it's coming out of a place of pain in your own life. We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. We've been rejected in different ways. We've suffered grief. Every, no, no human travels through life without going through that. But what's really important is that you give yourself the space to heal. You know, God's dream for each of us, and I think Steve mentioned this last week, is for shalom and sozo. They're kind of two words that you will hear continuously within our community. Shalom coming from the uh, Hebrew, meaning nothing broken, nothing missing. And sozo is the New Testament word for healing, but it's more than just being healed. It's being made whole. It's being made complete. When I was uh, typing up my, um, my message on, on Word, um, I put in there that God is able to, to heal you. He's, he's able to heal you. If he says, you know, my, my goal for you is shalom, my goal for you is sozo, then God's actually able to do it. So I said, you know, God is able to do it. And I had those little dotted lines that says grammatically could be better. And, uh, you know, I check it, it goes, can. And I went, gosh, even the grammar check says God can do it. Not that he's able, but he can. That's more certain to me, don't you think? I think, yeah, that's right, God can heal you. And so can I encourage you, if you sit there and think, you know what, I think there is some pain and I do react out of that. I do snap at those around about me. Can I encourage you to please see someone, see a counsellor, talk to a trusted friend, come and see one of us on the pastoral team, get some prayer, but please take the time and the space to allow healing to come about and be honest with that. Because otherwise, what you're doing is hurting other people out of your own pain. The third thing that I think causes um, people to bite and devour one another, and, you know, as I think about that lady in the shopping centre, I wonder what, what motivated her? What motivated her? Was it a thing of control? Might have been. But I wonder whether it was a thing of panic, of fear. And that fear has come up so many times today. And I like this quote. You don't have to disrespect and insult others simply to hold your own ground. If you do, that shows how shaky your own position is. You know, the third reason an animal will attack, will bite or will devour is because they feel threatened. You've come near their home. You've come into their space. You're threatening them, their security, their safety, and they will fight and they will attack out of that. It's not that they're an aggressive animal per se, but the fact that you're in their zone and in their space because they're afraid, they're fearful. Their security, their stability, their livelihood, their life is dependent on keeping themselves safe. And I believe 
that as humans, we attack other people out of fear. When fear comes, there's this sort of agitation that takes place on the inside of us and it's a horrible feeling and we don't like it and we just, you know, a bit like the snake, we just come out and we attack. When someone questions what you believe to be true, when someone questions what you, you know, what you've built your life upon, what you, your ethics, your morals, your, your, your theology, when people question that and you get a fear reaction, there's, a, there's an internal, what I call an internal little earthquake goes off inside of you and, you know, you rise up and you defend and you attack, that's coming out of fear. The, uh, I think it was a, a Chinese, well, it might have been a Japanese guy, said this quote, attack is the best form of defence. And that's what happens. We attack others because we're trying to defend where we're standing. We don't like anybody challenging where we stand and what we stand on. I grew up in a um, devout um, Catholic family and uh, my dad was a lay, uh, lay minister in the Catholic family. He died when I was young. And when I felt hungry for something more of my, in my faith and I started going to a charismatic uniting church, my mother reacted severely and it was not pleasant. My husband, when he first met my mother, experienced that attack um, and he, was, uh, he nearly didn't want to marry me because he was afraid of what my mother was like and would I become like her. <laughs> it's true, is that right? Yeah. Um, and it was vicious and it was nasty. Well, and I, you know, at the time I could not, and I, you know, you can imagine at the time I was grieved and, you know, the, the, all of the, you know, your father would be rolling in his grave, you're, you're, you're going to go to, you know, all of that kind of horrible stuff was, was thrown at me. I now realise what it was, was my going elsewhere, my saying Catholicism is not enough for me was rocking her faith and she was coming out of faith fear. She was reacting out of that. I felt that faith fear. I felt that when Steve's come out of his, you know, his time with God and he said, you know, I was thinking today and I go, <gasps> it just sets off something inside of me. I go, oh, I don't, you know, like, no, no, uh, uh, uh. And it's a horrible feeling. Did anyone understand the feeling I mean? It's just like, oh. But I realised uh, when I started my studies and that was one of the reasons I was actually having that reaction is why I actually went into theological study again. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want to live in that place. And the very first sort of set of lectures was about being how we actually um, how's the word? how we actually process faith or how we live our faith. We can do it in two ways. And one way is called a bounded set or a closed set. We have a set set of beliefs and we're closed and it's, the gates are shut and I'm not looking at anything and I'm not thinking about it. That's what I believe and that is it. It's called a bounded set. The other thing is called an open set, and it says, I'm open, I'm listening. I'll have to think about what you're saying. I don't actually have all the answers. And I realised that for me, the way I got rid of my faith fear was by actually going away from the bounded set, which is what I'd grown up with in Catholicism, and actually moving towards an open set. Actually being open and listening and being vulnerable and going, 
okay, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me, but I've got to look at that, I've got to think about it, I've got to research that. That's how I have moved away from that fear reaction. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know how do we end up devouring one another? I believe we've got pride. We panic. We're in pain. But how does it work? I think it works because we start from a place of difference. We're all different to one another. But in those differences, do we sit there and think that our way is the right way, the only way? Do we recognise, do we sit and look at others' differences with humility and go, oh, I've got something to learn from that, from that other culture, from those other people that are different to me? Or do we sit and go, no, my way is the right way and it should be done this way. This is the proper way, the correct way to do it. Because if we stick to this thing that my way is the right way, that pride thing, what happens is it leads to division. And division is where we start forming cliques and parties and where we stick with those that think exactly like us and everybody else who's different, they're the other, they're the enemy, they're the wrong one. And it builds up a wall of hostility when we start talking about a them and an us, an in and an out, a good and a bad, a right and a wrong. That's, that's, a, that's divisive language. I think politics has got a lot of division in it. And we start mocking and vilifying and, and, and having humour based around those divisions. And if we don't pull down that wall of division, that wall of hostility, it leads to devouring. It leads to seeing the other as the enemy, as a threat to my security and my safety, and we will destroy them. How do marriages get to the point where they're devouring one another? It's because they didn't recognise that difference is okay and learned to humbly live with that. They moved into division of them and us, a right and a wrong, a you and me, and then they started devouring. A couple of great quotes just to finish. Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. So true. Things we say in anger, hey? Finish this scripture in Romans 12, 16. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of others' worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Tertullian um, says... This great quote, if we could go through to that one, David, I'll end on the other slide, the Tertullian one, the last. Christians do not hurt even his enemy. Christians, they don't even hurt their enemies, let alone those sitting in the seat beside them. Wolves and dogs devour sheep. Sheep don't eat sheep. So can I encourage you, don't bite and devour one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the challenge of your word. 
God, that we have got to be reminded, Lord, that it's so easy to fall into the trap of reacting out of our pride and out of our pain, out of our panic. And God, help us, God, deal with those issues. God, help us to be open-minded, open-hearted, to be listening, to be humble, and to serve each other in love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.